You're listening to High Pitch, the American Health Information Management Association podcast produced weekly for HEMA's members and healthcare professionals everywhere. Listen in as we explore the hot topics and news items affecting the industry and you. Hello and welcome to the HEMA High Pitch podcast. We're continuing to look at the COVID-19 pandemic from a healthcare information angle, finding out what HI professionals, providers, and others are doing to help fight the disease. This episode, we're getting a physician's perspective. My first guest is Dr. Michael Stearns, CEO at Apollo HIT LLC in Austin, Texas. Dr. Stearns is a health information and compliance professional. He has been pursuing and researching information on COVID-19, including projects that may help combat the pandemic, and providing direction on telehealth activities. Welcome to the show, Dr. Stearns. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. My first question, in what ways do you see COVID-19 impacting physicians? As we've all seen, uh, physicians and other healthcare workers have been tremendously impacted by the pandemic, then their own lives at risk and emerging as true heroes in a disaster. The response has been tremendous, but it's taking a huge toll on lives of healthcare workers and their families. Over time, we'll learn a great deal from this pandemic, how to prepare for worst case scenarios, how to treat potential pandemics with the utmost caution. It will impact medical training, medical device manufacturing, how drugs may be approved. What is one of the key messages you would send to physicians during this crisis? I would say help is on the way. The tremendous response from uh, volunteers that are willing to come and put their own lives at risk is is, uh, not just in the U.S., but internationally has been uh, truly heartwarming. Uh, Eventually, we'll have adequate testing, and hopefully some of of the breakthroughs that are being researched right now will allow us to have more weapons at our disposal to treat this condition. Steps that have been taken by other nations that have been successful will be applied, modified, of course, for our uh, society, but will be applied, and they have proven effectiveness. So I do believe that we can get this pandemic under control, hopefully relatively quickly. Uh, In the meantime, though, the stress that the healthcare system is under, and this will be spreading across the nation, is is difficult to watch and difficult to bear. But I do believe that... uh, we will eventually get control of the situation, and uh, hopefully this flattening of the curve that we've all been talking about will, will be effective, uh, as shown in Washington and some other locations. And how do you think the pandemic will affect the way physicians practice now and in the future? Until an effective vaccine is in place, we're all going to be under the same uh, situation of, of trying to avoid spread of the virus locally. Now this concern, of course, uh, in the uh, media and, and some articles have been published suggesting that the virus could be spread through simply talking at a range of up to 27 feet. And we don't know if that's true or not at this time, but uh, we have to assume it is. So I do think the implementation of wearing masks in the health place, there's still healthcare locations that don't have access to masks. But we have seen that uh, if you wear a mask, uh, a cloth mask, it reduces your likelihood of spreading the disease to other people. It may not help protect you very much unless it's a really high-quality mask. But clinicians will need to have all their staff wearing masks as soon as possible, which is a big change for many healthcare operations. We're also going to have to deal with this for probably for at least another year of these uh, precautions that all people are going to have to take. One thing that's uh, on the positive side is that the number of individuals that are immune grows. We'll have this army of the immune, so to speak, that will be able to function more normally in the workplace and not have to worry about, on the healthcare side, not have to worry about being infected or spreading the infection to others. We're still, it's a little unclear as to 
when people are in the clear, there's been some case reports of people that were infected, they recovered, tested negative, and then tested positive in the future. Maybe related to how the tests are performed, the quality of tests, et cetera. But that's that's a huge, uh, it's of huge importance for this process is to identifying when people have been infected are safe to go out into the community and will no longer be spreading it. We also know how long the vaccine, once it's created, will be effective. It may be for a short period of time. It may be something we'll have to do annually, et cetera. But all these things are going to have a, a huge impact on, on physician practice. So a patient comes in for an elective procedure sometime later this year, unless that person's been proven to be negative, unless you have the ability to do testing, routine testing, everyone will have to be on guard. So social settings right now, it's, it's very difficult to imagine uh, large gatherings of any type if there's still a potential person-person spread. The testing we can do to identify people who are positive, even though it's very symptomatic, how the quality of those tests is extremely important. For example, if we test someone who's infected and they don't have an adequate viral load to pick up that they're, that they're infected, they test negative, a false negative, that's going to be very challenging is that one person then uh, a day or two later thinking they're okay, then uh, ends up spreading it to a group. So we still have a lot of challenges around that, how we're going to manage you know, the social aspect of this, even once we have a testing in place, really until we have uh, a vaccine is going to be tremendously impactful for, for healthcare and society in general. We've seen in recent publications how important accurate data capture is during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Do you have any advice for physicians and ways they can manage the balance between patient care and the delivery of accurate and clear documentation? Yes, we're just now seeing uh, kind of a surge in data, but it's it's very, um, the Lancet Journal and others have been uh, very good about publishing data when they they acquire it. Uh, Then we're racing uh, articles to, to print uh, they have relevant information. So I do think that uh, the quality of data and the quantity of data will improve. Obviously, we'll have massive uh, amounts of data to process. Looking to tease out information, there was a report, there's a New England Journal article, well, potential New England Journal article that's being reviewed for publication showing that people that live in, in uh, cities with high levels of uh, air, air pollution uh, tend to have a higher fatality rate which is very concerning. Uh, but these things are, this, this type of data is very useful for determining where to allocate resources, et cetera. So the more information we have, uh, we really don't have a good sense uh, from what I'm reading through the literature as to why uh, some patients who are relatively healthy, some are fairly young and healthy, succumb to this virus. If we could identify those at risk, uh, through processing the data, through massive analysis, maybe even genomic research, whatever needs to be done to identify those people at risk and then prioritize them for uh, isolation for now, for maybe immune antibodies, and then eventually to be first in line for the immunizations would be very helpful. So data is extremely important to capture at this time and to use and to tease out risk factors for, um, for all patients, regardless of age, and identify ones that are truly at greatest risk. Now, when we discussed uh, this interview by email, you talked about uh, COVID-19 surveillance testing. Do you want to talk about that, the importance of it? Yes. Um, that is something I think is becoming now the norm. But for a while there, it seemed like there was not enough emphasis, in my opinion, on testing uh, early on. The countries like uh, South Korea that did massive amounts of testing. And also, I 
we started Switzerland is another one that did tested a high percentage of their population. They were able to do solid that by for positives with contact tracing and then isolating those individuals. And that seemed to be a key component of controlling spread of the virus. So I do think that um, the tests, as they improve in quality and accuracy, the surveillance testing will become the norm. How we're going to do that in our society? Are we going to mandate people get tested? Are we going to have people that, um, like in England, are talking about immune passports and identify people that are, ne- are testing negative, but also the ones who have antibodies? Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to be done in our society. Tools that would help to identify the uh, various uh, members of the population that you know have been tested or have antibodies, et cetera, would be extremely helpful. But surveillance testing, in my opinion, needs to be emphasized. We are facing challenges from the virus, of course, but we'll soon be facing healthcare and other challenges from the uh, lockdowns. So in order to ease the lockdown restrictions, get people back to work, we really need to uh, implement massive surveillance testing. How many tests we'll need to have available? You've got 300, I think, and 60 million people in this country. Do we need to repeatedly test everyone? Uh, We're talking billions of tests there. Probably not, but we will need, uh, you know, millions and millions of, of tests available to be able to manage this crisis until, of course, we have the vaccine available. Now, in what ways, uh, if any, do you see the COVID-19 pandemic clinical data impacting medical decision-making in the future? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, it's going to be, I mean, which patients are at greatest risk? How do we, how do we isolate them from society? We've got uh, people in their 20s, even some in their teens, who are relatively healthy or perfectly healthy and no known health conditions who are succumbing to the virus, uh, you know, being put in the ICU and some of them um, having fatal outcomes which is, uh, which is absolutely horrible to contemplate. The numbers are very limited, though, but there's something about those patients. Is it something like some people have argued the viral load that you receive when you first get infected may impact? We have no supporting data for that. Uh, is it something about their genetics? Is it something about their prior exposures? It's, um, so what, what don't we know? I mean, what information can we tease out of the data that will allow us to, uh, to make uh, clinical decisions on a preventative level? And then, of course, someone comes in with symptoms. Hopefully, new treatments will emerge. There's some promising medications that are on the horizon. Some of them, it's very difficult to study because they may have some risk involved. You know, treating humans with uh, unproven uh, drugs is very concerning. They've turned to using drugs that do have known complications that have been used for other purposes. And that obviously makes sense because as a, as a clinician, you, you use whatever weapons you have at, at your disposal. So I do think there'll be, um, there'll be some tremendous impact on emerging data that allow us to make better informed decisions in the future. So in closing, are there any words you'd like to share with other professionals out there or anything you'd like to leave us with? I think there's been an interesting development with telehealth recently. I've been looking at that very closely from a compliance standpoint. Uh, CMS has, um, for Medicare at least, and many of the commercial payers, has relaxed some of the requirements. So there's opportunities right now to not only use that to protect your staff and your patients and yourself, if you're a healthcare uh, professional, but also to generate revenue. So there's a number of programs available that have been unutilized in the past that are becoming more high profile that allow you to provide care to patients, including COVID-19 patients, but all patients remotely, not just the telehealth codes, though, which are which basically mimic a face-to-face visit that everyone's familiar with. Those become relatively simple to to put in place. 
Well, there's other services that uh, do reimburse that might be worth looking at, such as the e-visits, such as um, uh, chronic care management, the new principal care management, telephone visits. There's a uh, there's a whole list of codes. Some can be used in the same month. Some can be services provided in the same month. Others are exclusive of each other. So it's a little bit complicated to be aware of all of that. But if you just spend seven minutes on the on the, a phone call with a patient deciding whether or not to you come in and get tested, uh, you can now get reimbursed for that. When previously, I mean, you 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 were able to get reimbursed for that for some time now, but but Medicare was uh, had certain restrictions on that that have been lifted. So I would evaluate if you're a practice out there and you're say do elective procedures depending on that. I would certainly look at telehealth as a way of you know maintaining. Uh, your connections with your patients, keeping patients uh, in your practice, but also generating revenue and uh, affording kind of interesting ways to explore how to provide better care for some of your patients that are more needy. Once again, our guest was Dr. Michael Stern, CEO at Apollo HIT LLC in Austin, Texas. Thank you very much for speaking with us, doctor. Thank you. For the next part of our discussion about how COVID-19 has affected physicians, we're speaking with Dr. Fessel Hussain, Vice President of CDI Solutions for Revantix. Dr. Hussain is responsible for CDI product and solutions enhancement and overseeing outpatient-focused CDI programs. He has a strong background in clinical documentation integrity and has previously worked in both corporate and facility settings on various inpatient-focused CDI initiatives at large hospital systems. Thank you for speaking with us, Dr. Hussain. Thank you very much, Dan, for having me. Pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you again. Now I shared your bio. Can you provide a little bit more about your background and uh, what fields, topics you focus on? Sure. So, you know, as you described in the bio, you know, my primary focus is clinical documentation integrity. Um, I have been doing this for close to seven, eight years now. Even though currently I am more focused on the outpatient side, that's what my current role requires. But, you know, most of my expertise and my background has been in the inpatient arena, um, you know, inpatient CDI focus, starting from facilities where I worked in New York um, and New Jersey, um, also, you know, going on to lead the corporate team at community health systems in, in Tennessee when I moved here. Um, you know, so I've worked in different settings, you know, at corporate level at a, and also at the facility level at various CDI initiatives. And more than ever before, I think what we do as clinical documentation integrity specialists holds a lot of value in the current environment and the current menace that we are dealing with right now. My first question, in what ways have you been seeing COVID-19 affecting physicians? Oh, boy. Uh, where do I even begin? You know, the whole crisis has been such a nightmare Physicians have been affected both directly and indirectly. Of course, there is this obvious direct interaction with the patients, which increases the risk of themselves getting infected with the SARS coronavirus 2, along with increased risk to their family members getting affected, especially given that asymptomatic spread is already known. And to make matters worse, the shortage of PPE has further aggravated this issue. The physicians and also the nurses and all healthcare professionals are fighting on the front lines. You know, I, I don't see them any different than the World War II vets who fought on the enemy lines. 
Make no mistake, this is a war against this single-stranded RNA virus. And the healthcare workers are fighting on the front lines heroically. I hope everyone understands the sacrifices that all the healthcare workers, especially those involved in direct patient care, are making at this critical moment in our country's history. Now, physicians are getting affected differently depending on the region they practice in. As I said earlier, you know, New York has been the hardest hit, you know, with the number of cases in New York alone now being higher than in any other single country. Just wait and absorb that for a moment. Everyone talks about the physical well-being of the physicians, which is very important, of course. But an often missed aspect is the mental trauma stemming from the grueling work. You know, the sheer volume of mortalities is causing a huge toll on the mental health of not just the physicians, but all healthcare workers. We're just not used to seeing that many people die, resulting in feeling of helplessness and depression. As for rest of the country where the peak hasn't been hit yet, there is a great deal of anxiety and uncertainty among physicians in regards to whether or not healthcare systems are prepared to deal with a massive surge in daily number of cases. And I haven't even spoken about the financial impact, you know, all the small private practices and, you know, certain specialties that deal largely with elective procedures, example, you know, dermatology or orthopedics, they have all taken a huge hit financially. And some of them have even gone out of business. I personally know a cardiology practice whose contract was ended. I've also heard about physician groups downsizing, laying off physicians. So physicians are no different from rest of America and are very much feeling the economic pains from this crisis like everyone else's. It is bad out there, and I hope and pray we can get past this crazy time in our history soon, especially as the weather gets warmer. Sorry to sound so doom and gloom. <laughs> no, not at all. So you're speaking uh, more generally there, but what's a key message you would send to your fellow physicians during the crisis? You know, the key message would be to hang in there and do not panic. I know it's easy for me to say, especially to those brave physicians taking care of patients in places like New York and New Jersey. But the patients are really relying on us and need us during these trying times. We ought to help our patients and save lives. And I know most will do that instead of running away. We all took that oath after all. Having said that, please, and this is probably the most important message I want to give, do not compromise on proper PPE for your own safety, no matter what. Unfortunately, there are reports that many healthcare systems have downplayed the severity of illness caused by COVID-19 and actually discouraged physicians from wearing proper PPE, that should be absolutely unacceptable. And any administration trying to put physicians and healthcare workers' lives at risk should be ashamed of themselves. And I hope they are held accountable after we are done dealing with this current crisis. Also, in order to fight this virus together, I think more than ever before, it's important we continue to have good communication with other physicians. And one of the important ways to do that is by having a clear and accurate documentation in medical record. Now, how do you think this pandemic will affect the way physicians practice uh, now and in the future? As I mentioned earlier, you know, several healthcare systems either failed to provide proper PPE or discouraged physicians from wearing the proper PPE for a variety of reasons when the pandemic started, including worrying about quote-unquote optics of it and not scaring the patients away. Can you believe that? This led to several physicians falling victim to this pandemic. 
with some even unfortunately losing their lives. This indicates that these healthcare systems just need bodies to work and generate revenues with no consideration to health of their physicians and healthcare workers. I'm sure that in future you will see healthcare professionals taking more active charge of their own safety. And when all the dust settles on this crisis, I hope such administrators are made to pay for their greed. The other lasting impact of this pandemic will be our and and really general society's take on working remotely. I think telemedicine and webinar-based conferences will be much more prevalent even after COVID settles down. It will be good for patient satisfaction as well, I might add. Not to mention, it will save the cost, which can be extended to our end consumers, that is our patients. You know, CMS has made it relatively easy to bill for telehealth visits during this pandemic. And I hope that some of these can be extended even after things get back to normal and be added to the permanent next year's rule. We've seen in recent publications how important accurate data capture is during the pandemic. Do you have any advice for physicians in ways they can manage the balance between patient care and the delivery of accurate and clear documentation? That's a that's a great question. You know, we always have to take any data with a grain of salt. You know, patients in Italy are different from patients here and elsewhere, for example. We have a lot of younger patients, unfortunately, that are dying in the U.S., These days, we are seeing a lot of statistics, a lot of numbers. And while numbers are important to paint the picture, we must analyze them well to see what those numbers actually mean and how they can be applied to our patients. I am a huge believer in population health management and usage of big data, especially as there are no real randomized controlled trials available. You know, using big data can uncover the hidden associations and interactions and can actually expedite our search for successful treatment options or predict more accurately the risk of mortality and morbidity. It goes without saying that obviously the patient care will always take precedence over documentation. And it is understandable for hospitals in active crisis mode to suspend querying for documentation integrity. I actually read an excellent post by a good friend of mine, Laurie Prescott, on how to find a balance during this crisis. I completely agree with her that hospitals that are not experiencing the full extent of the crisis should encourage physicians to make use of the low census and spend more time documenting accurately. Moreover, the CDI professionals can assist in this with retroactive queries post-discharge to clarify the documentation, especially the charts belonging to COVID-19 patients since there may be additional funding applied for this population. Some organizations are actually already doing retrospective and post-build reviews of these records. See, it is important to educate the providers on what exactly is needed from them within the documentation so that when they see these patients, they can work to capture it right from the get-go from the start. For example, clear documentation about PUI versus COVID-19 should be present in every patient's chart. Also, effort must be made to document all the other conditions that the patient has so as to paint a complete picture of patient's health. While it is true that during the intensity of this crisis, the CDI queries aren't going to be the focus, but they will be once we get through this crisis. You know, the work CDI professionals do is going to be even more important and valuable to the healthcare as it is critically important to capture accurate data to prepare for it when it hits us next time which may be as early as this fall when we expect the second wave to hit us.
Well, let's keep following uh, data here. Uh, in what ways, if any, do you see the COVID-19 pandemic uh, clinical data impacting medical decision-making in the future? You know, the old phrase, garbage in, garbage out, couldn't be truer. Mm -hmm. You know, if the quality of our data isn't good, it is bound to lead to bad decisions. As I mentioned earlier, using big data will allow physicians and data scientists to uncover many of the mysteries related to this disease. Right now, to be very honest, I think it's a little too early to comment on the specifics of, of what impact it is making, considering we didn't even have the U07.1 COVID-19 code up until a couple of weeks ago. And we really need to see more long-term results for at least a few months to exactly see how um, the results impact future decision-making. But I feel excited that the data might allow, for example, the physicians to perform a better patient screening, a better risk stratification, and hopefully offer better treatment options to the infected group of people. Now, I understand you've been personally affected by the pandemic. Would you care to share that? Sure. Um, you know, I am based in Nashville, and my parents live in New York City, which, as I said, you know, has been particularly hit hard by the current COVID-19 pandemic and is very much the epicenter of the disease in the country. You know, both of my parents have multiple pre-existing conditions and comorbids. So when they first informed me about their symptoms, I got really worried for their health as I knew that they hadn't been you know, as careful in terms of social distancing and reduced outside exposure as I wanted them to be. And it was quite a challenge to just get them tested at first, despite of the obvious symptoms and being in the high-risk category due to their age and comorbids. Um, they were eventually tested, and sure enough, both of them tested positive. Um, initially felt very helpless because, you know, I couldn't even go out there and visit them. You know, I was lucky that I was able to monitor their virals, including their blood pressure and oxygen saturation remotely, and was able to sort of manage their illness. I am pleased to share that they both ended up being amongst the majority of the cases, which are milder forms of COVID-19. And their isolation ended earlier this week after being symptom-free without meds for at least five days. So very relieved and happy to see them recover from this illness. As we know, so many of the patients have not been fortunate enough to do so. Um, so I appreciate you, you asking about them. Absolutely. I'm glad it turned out well. Yeah, we are too. Thank you. And finally, I'd like to ask uh, all my interviewees this question. Is there anything I haven't asked that you wish I had asked or final words you'd like to pass along? You know, this is an unprecedented time in our history. At least I, for one, can say I don't think I have any. I have seen anything any remotely similar to like this in my entire life. So this really isn't a question, but I just want to make a special mention about the brave housekeeping staff in the hospitals who are often ignored in these discussions. You know, in the fight for masks and PPEs, these workers unfortunately often come last. Most even lack the medical training to know when and how to protect themselves, with not enough guidance from the administrators either. How often do we see housekeeping entering a room without wearing any protective gear, which has nurses and physicians, all of them wearing PPE? So I request all of my physician colleagues and nurses to acknowledge the contributions of these wonderful folks 
and create awareness about their well-being also being at stake during this crisis so that the administrators don't forget about them maybe take it upon yourself and do an education class for the housekeeping staff on how to appropriately wear ppe you know it takes a village to care for each sick patient and every member of the team matters you know i'm sorry that this last point wasn't about physicians per se but i wanted to give a shout out to all the healthcare workers that are fighting on the front lines in this war against covid-19 oh definitely and thank you for doing so once again we were speaking with dr fessel hussein vice president of cdi solutions for ventix about covid-19 and how it's been affecting physicians thank you for speaking with us dr hussein All right. Thank you so much, Dan. Stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to High Pitch, a HEMA podcast produced by the American Health Information Management Association. Please subscribe or visit us at hema.org slash pod for updates on future shows. Thank you for listening.